Sorry. Um, I promised that some of the guys that I won't keep you uh, long this morning uh, because of last night. I know everybody is tired, so I won't keep you after 12. I'm, I've got two hours, eh? What's time check? 10.06. Let's do this. All right. Um, I wasn't sure whether I was going to do this in Afrikaans or English, but I know that there are a couple of people that uh, actually need to hear this um, uh, in English, because otherwise you won't be able to follow. So it'd, it'd be, be good for me if, if, we, if you'll bear with me this morning uh, if I do it in a, in a second tale. <laughs> Have you got Bibles with you? All right. I'm going to preach from a very obscure book today. I've actually never, never heard a preach from this book, so maybe I don't listen to enough preachers, but maybe you have. But uh, what's gone before this morning is very much aligned with what I was going to talk to you about, and I want to aim at, at something that I want to share with you up front, and that is that it's quite easy to be spiritual, is it not? It's easy to be spiritual, you know, we pray, we sing, you know, we tell people to read the word, but it's quite easy to be spiritual, Lord bless you, Jesus loves you, those, those things are actually almost simple, where the rubber hits the road is where you are challenged to change, and where life challenges you, circumstances challenge you, the word challenges you, God challenges you, Life starts putting pressure on you. We, we tend to think we're like toothpaste, you know. There's a squeeze on you, and you've got to see what comes out. So today I, I want to share something from a book called Nahum. Nahum, just before Habakkuk in the Old Testament, and uh, just after Micah, so Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. That's where you will find it. So you can, uh, you can page there and... Uh, I want to answer one or two questions, and I'm sure that you've asked this question yourself, and if you haven't, you still will. And that is, has God abandoned me? You ask the question, has God abandoned me? Has God forgotten about me? And why is it that those guys are such pagan people that it's flourishing, that's going so well with them, and I'm struggling? Why is that? And I want to try and answer some of that today for us. Because I think it's fundamental that if we think about those questions which come up in our lives, we are challenged with life. We sometimes think, God, why has God forgotten about me? God has disappeared somewhere. He just is not taking notice, especially if you're in hardship over an extended period of time. And then at some point you... You start looking at other people and you see, geez, man, all these pagan people. I mean, these uncircumcised Philistines and it's going really well with them. The bank accounts are full. The cars are flash. The business is flourishing. And it's an unpleasant challenge to look at that and to think about why is it not like that for me? And then we tend to do what we've been discussing lately is we feel sorry for ourselves. 
but you almost can't help it. We need a method or a mechanism or a something or tools or keys to get ourselves out of that place. And that's what I really want to share with you today. But in order to get there, I'm, I'm sort of got to climb up the hill and go around the mountain a little bit. So please bear with me. Nahum is a, is a very uh, challenging but uh, interesting book due to the place that, it's, uh, that it took place, that the time at which it took place during history. It's a very significant uh, time in history. So let's read a couple of verses through the book. I'm going to cover the whole thing. Okay, we're going to sort of flash through all of Nahum, contextualize it, where it fits into history, and then see how that applies to our own lives. How can we apply this? Because when you just read it like this, it's like, geez, what's this got to do with me? But we want to try and, and do that today. All right, so let's read a couple of verses. If you can put Nahum from verse 2 up there for me, please. I'm just going to flash through those verses. I'm reading from the NIV. But you can follow NLV uh, and the, the Afrikaans version up there. Okay. So the Lord is jealous and avenging God. Yes, that's the right place. <laughs> the Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The, not a popular message, is it? The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. There's a bit of a light bulb there, so the, the moment there. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make the end of, and then Nineveh is slotted in there. Uh, he will pursue his foes into darkness. And then just jump maybe to verse 15. I think you've got that. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. And then we jump to chapter 2, verse 3. The shields of his soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of pine are brandished. And then jump to verse 8 or 9. Have you got verse 9 there? Yes. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless. The wealth from all its treasures. She's pillaged. Plundered, stripped, hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young, where the lion and the lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to fear? And then we can jump to verse 13. I'm against you, 
declares the Lord Almighty. What a scary statement that is. God says, I'm against you. You're in trouble. I'm against you, declares the Lord Almighty. And then we can jump to chapter 3. There are only three chapters in the book. Chapter 3, verse 4. All because of the wanton lust of a harlot alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I'm against you, declares the Lord Almighty. And then verse 16 and verse 19, just to finish off the, the book. You've increased the number of your merchants till they are more than the stars of the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. And then verse 19, with finality, then says, Nothing can heal your wound. Your injury is fatal. All right, what's this all about? <laughs> Let me contextualize it for you quickly. There are some real world powers at play here. The one is the Assyrian nation. The Assyrians is a world superpower. It's like the U.S. or the China of today. This great superpower sitting in the north. And just south of them, you've got what we call northern Israel, and then Judah, and then in the south, well, in between there's little Syria, Aram, but let's forget about that for a moment. In, a, in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, you've got this massive superpower sitting up north, Israel, then Judah, and then Egypt in the south. Israel, Judah specifically, is kind of squashed in the middle here between Egypt and the south and this Assyrian empire, which is up north. And during Nahum's time, the time is approaching when they've been under this yoke of Assyrian oppression for quite a while. But Judah still survived. And at this point in time, Nahum writes this prophecy more or less at the same time that Habakkuk was prophesying. And he's speaking to Judah, specifically the people that are left in Judah. And they're asking the question, has God abandoned us? Because we've got this Assyrian power and we've got all these promises that God has given us as a nation. But things are going horribly wrong. And at this point, Nahum speaks to them. And then he's, he speaks these words. And we'll just run through a little bit of it. Because Nahum first starts calling upon the character of God, which is really important. He starts focusing by saying who God is. And he addresses the, the capabilities and the attributes and the character of God himself. Who is God? By answering the question, he's first answering the question, who is God? And God is this God. He's the God in those first couple of verses that he says he's jealous. God is jealous. Now, jealousy is not the same thing as desiring something that should not be legitimately and rightly yours. Jealousy is when you desire something that is legitimately yours. And God, it says, is a jealous God, but he's jealous for those things that belong to him. He's jealous for his own name. Because he's entitled to it. He's jealous for his own character. Because he's entitled to it. God is jealous for his people. Because he's entitled to it. His people belong to him. 
He's jealous for his creation. It says that when, when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, all of creation came back to him because man was the pinnacle of creation. And creation had fallen. All things come back to God. And God takes it very seriously. And God is jealous for it because it legitimately belongs to him. It's not the same thing as when you see somebody else got a nice car or a nice house and you desire those things. That's not the jealousy that we are talking about here. That is called envy. <laughs> and we all have a little bit of that inside us, if we're honest. And then it speaks about God's justice. One attribute that's highlighted here is this thing of the justice of God. He is a Lord that avenges foes and he maintains his wrath against his enemies. There's justice that uh, gets executed. If you watch AGT like I do, I love America's Got Talent, sorry. That, that, am I allowed to? Is that sinful? I love America's Got Talent. I watch these talent shows and I, I love watching uh, The Voice as well. And there was a guy who appeared on AGT, and he stood there in his oversized suit, and they said to him, you know, you're like in your 50s, I mean, what are you doing here? You know, tell us, what got you here? And he said, well, in 1982, he was walking next to the road, and all of a sudden, a police car came screeching up to him, grabbed him, shoved him into the vehicle, he was, he was a late teens, like 19 years old, shoved him to, into the vehicle, carted him off to prison, and he was accused of burglary, aggravated assault and rape and murder. Found guilty and incarcerated. And there he stood on the stage at AGT. It took him 36 years to clear his name. And there he was, and the whole audience was just gasping. It's like, how is this possible? And says, the one thing they couldn't take from me was music. I, I get emotional when I think about this. But he, he says he met the love of his life, music, at the age of 12. And that's the one thing they could never remove from him. But justice was not done. So my question is, if this happens to us, how will we respond because God is just, surely, but justice was not done. And Nahum is answering that question. He said, God is not like that. God is not like that. When God meets our justice, you must know he's a just God and he will meet our justice. That's what he's saying to the people of Israel. So the justice that he's speaking about in terms of God's character is not what we see as justice in the society that we experience. I mean, I think you often feel like I do. It's like justice was not done. A guy murders someone and they're out, you know, in two years. And so you, you feel like justice wasn't done. And Naaman is saying, God is not like that. God is a God who executes according to his character. And his character contains justice. And then he talks about his great power, this incredible power that uh, God exhibits and is capable of and is contained within him. He's the biggest power in the universe. And it's interesting that they always use nature to be able to explain the power of God because we can't actually fathom it. You know, the biggest thing I can think of is like an atom bomb or something. 
but God is so immensely powerful that in these days they didn't have atom bombs. So they would talk about nature, and they will talk about rocks. They will say the, the rock. And if you look at Perlberg rock, you, you kind of think God is a rock. Jesus is called a rock. He says we build our houses, our lives, we build it on a rock. And it's a rock like that that we can look at. And there's something of the immutability, immovability, and unbreakable aspect of a rock that God exhibits. It's, it's, it can't be moved. It can't be broken. And it says that God has such great power, He can shatter rocks. It actually says by the word of His power, He can shatter rocks. And then fire, you know, if you think about fire, I think about these Californian fires that are, you know, blasting through thousands and thousands of acres of land, uh, people perishing, animals perishing, these incredible fires. I don't know if you've seen those fires in California that sometimes take place. And God is, is compared to that. So that the bigness and the sheer magnitude of his power is the most immense power in the whole universe. So name is focusing on God's character, pointing to God's character, whom he is, what he's like, what he's capable of. But there's an implication here. And this implication in the first couple of verses is that you could be on two sides of the fence. On the one side, there is the character of God that stands in opposition to what you do and who you are. And on the other side of the fence, there is God's character, which is in alignment with who you are, what you think, and how you operate, and what you do. And it says there, in verses 6 and 7, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. That's the immensity of God's power towards that which stands in opposition to him. But then it says, the Lord is good. It's like almost, like, oh my word, in the middle of all this, the Lord is good. I mean, that doesn't sound very good to me. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him, and that's the key. There are two types of people. Now, I'm trusting that most of you know God, know the Lord Jesus, and are on the right side of the fence. But it is always possible that there is someone that is not right with God. You, you are the enemy of God if you're not his friend. You, you can't be both. You can't be in the middle somewhere. It's not neutral. There's no neutrality here. You're either for him or you're against him. It says in the New Testament, when, when Paul speaks about this, he says, once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but God reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. The way that we climb over that fence is by being reconciled through Jesus with the Father. That's the only way. I need to say that before we move on with Nahum and this, this horrendous prophecy that, that he, gave, he gave Israel. Actually, very encouraging to Judah. You might think, what on earth? The Springboks just won and uh, you give us this. Don't worry, the good news is coming. <laughs> the good news is coming. But we need, we need to see this because the world that you and I are living in at the moment, although it's filled with violence and with great difficulty, 
we're actually facing nothing compared to what these people faced. I'm going to share some of it with you now. But these were rough people. So there are these two sides of the fence. There's the immensity of God's power. And then Nahum goes on, and he goes on to tell them what's going to happen to these people that are oppressing, the Assyrians that are oppressing Israel, Judah at this stage. So here's the little bit of history. Jonah, you remember Jonah, our friend? He was sent to Nineveh to go and preach to the Ninevites. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah does not want to go there. And you don't blame him. Because if God told you, and poor Jonah, he gets a bad rap. But think about this. If God told you to go somewhere to a people that are slaughtering and butchering your friends and just this, this pagan, the most pagan gangster you can think of. God tells you to go and tell him, if he doesn't stop, God will execute judgment against him. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be so keen to go into a city where these violent people were living and go and tell them that. It's not going to be a popular message, and the outcome might not be so pretty. But Jonah eventually does go, and as you know, they actually repent. And God spares the city. Not something that he wanted. He wanted God to judge them because of who they were. So, the Assyrian Empire, after Jonah's preaching to them, what happened to them? I'll tell you what happened to them. They fell back into their old ways. And it speaks about the wanton lust of a harlot. That's who they were. They wanted more land, more property, more goods, more things that they could accumulate. And they swept through that entire region, actually all the way down into Egypt. They were a, an incredible force to reckon with. As a matter of fact, if you go and look at the artifacts, you'll see that some of the kings, like Azrabonipal, he was a very famous Assyrian king, but He's the most famous king that no one's heard of. But he was on a par with Alexander the Great in terms of his military attack and prowess in attacking these countries around him. He was also a very smart guy. He was able, he, he was able to write in several languages, which was not common uh, during that day. But he was an incredibly violent person. So this is kind of the scenario that you're facing. When he was having supper or dinner with his wife, they were sitting there, and then the people were cooling them with palm branches. In the background on this relic, you'll see there's a head hanging from a tree. Because they just chopped some guy's head off, or chopped some people's head off, attacked some nation, just butchered all of them, hang them on by the trees, and then sit and have some supper next to it. That's the kind of people that you're talking about here. Pictured as a person, you'll see the theme of the lion coming through here. He was, Azubanipal specifically was called a lion. And they will have these relics, these ancient relics, where he's busy strangling a lion with his bare hands. Now, I doubt that that happened. Uh, if you've seen an angry lion, <laughs> I doubt that you would be able to manage that. But the point was that 
lions were actually quite a problem in that area. And they would, they would go and lion hunt. It was part of the thing that they needed to do. And he's epitomizes as this person that's like a lion, this lion hunter, lion slaughterer. This is the kind of person that you're dealing with. And now you've got to go and tell him that, hey, man, he must just calm down because God's going to judge you. But Nahum preaches against the nation 150 years later. And he's saying to Nineveh, you Assyrian empire, Judah, God has not forgotten about you. I know it's taken 150 years to get to this point, but God has not forgotten about you. And I know you think that God has abandoned you, but he hasn't abandoned you. And he says to Assyria, you, Nineveh, have a mortal wound. As a matter of fact, history tells us that they did come to their senses. But guess what happened? Nineveh got wiped out by the Babylonians, got completely butchered, smashed to pieces, nothing left of it. And the reason being that there's a point when your opposition to God, you get sworn against by oath. And when God swears on his wrath, by his wrath against you in anger, then it's too late to change. And for them, it was too late. And that's why Nahum says to them, your wound is mortal. It's too late. Nothing can change. You are going to get wiped out. We're talking somewhere around just after 620. And we know in 612, it was all action from the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. And they ended up sacking Nineveh. So this prophecy was fulfilled completely. However, the problem is that the Assyrian Empire got brought to its knees by the Babylonians. And if you keep reading in Habakkuk, you'll see, but the Babylonians then come and caught Judah away. They, they attacked Judah, and as you know, Jeremiah says to them, you, you best we go with them, best we do get deported, best we do go into Babylon, because God will look after us there. But that doesn't seem like justice, does it? So I want to point out to you that God can use one nation to punish another nation. And the second nation can be just as bad or worse than the first one. God is so in control of sin. He controls it to such an extent that he can use one pagan nation. And think about companies and think about politics and think about current nations. He could use the most evil thing to punish another one. God can do that because he's in such control. And Nahum is saying to Judah, never mind, God is in control of history. And in this scenario, God has not forgotten about you. And it actually came to pass that, uh, that this happened. All right, so what, what do we then do with all of this? So I want to say, I mean, Syrian empire, violence, you know, how do, how do we actually make this our own and apply this in our own lives. How, how, how does this fit into my life? Why are you saying that this is relevant today? And I want to say to you that all the difficulty that you're facing, that I'm facing, all the challenges that we have out there starts with this fundamental. You go back to God's attributes. You must go back to God's attributes. Never mind the circumstance, because circumstances are fickle. But God's Character does not change. It's immutable. It doesn't change. 
So you always go back to God's character. So when you're facing that really difficult thing, I know of people that have been in very difficult situations in their work environments where they were faced with some dishonesty in a business environment and needing to make it visible and then losing their jobs because of it or the companies getting shut down. So what do you do when that happens? You have to grab a hold of God's attributes. So there are two things. One, you can either try and fix things yourself by carrying on the way that you are or, like myself, coming up with solutions all the time. Solution. I've always got a solution for something. Guys, you the same? Guys always have a solution. Ladies tend to be able to verbalize things, and we always want to fix it. I've got, I've got the answer. We've got to focus on God's character if we want the answer. So Nahum does exactly that. He tells them who God is. And you've got to tell yourself, I've got to tell myself who God is. So in a scenario like that where you lose your job or things are going pear-shaped at work, you focus on God's faithfulness. Lord, I know you're faithful. This is what's happened, but I know you're faithful. And you cling to that faithfulness for dear life. That's what we have to do. There was once a person that I had conflict with at work. It was pretty bad. And I was treated in a, in a, a very bad way. And in a way that was actually not right. And if I had to analyze it on paper, I was in the right and he was in the wrong. And I had to face some consequences for what he'd done. I can tell you, I had to do a presentation. He took my presentation just before we did it. We presented to the board. This was a long time ago. And he changed my presentation and removed a whole bunch of components that he didn't think were necessary. And those are the things that they were looking for. And I shrugged my shoulders afterwards. I said, but he took it all out. And, but I had to take the responsibility. I had to take the flack for it. I had to actually pay the price for it. Now, do you think that was justice? I don't think so. I'll tell you what I did. What does the Bible say that you need to do? You've got to pray for your enemies. What does it say? You've got to love your enemies. You've got to believe the best. All these things that we don't want to hear. So in my mind's eye, the best I could think of doing was in my mind, I would picture myself walking into a, an office environment and hugging him. Hey man, good to see you. Gah! While I'm grinding my teeth. <sighs> I, I, it was really difficult for me, but that's what I had to do. And lo and behold, at some point into the future, I did bump into him. And there was nothing. You see, because I was free. Because it's about freedom in the spirit. Not holding on to things. If I'd hold on to it, you probably can't even remember my name. But if I'd hold on to it, who's affected? Me. I would be affected. So, I want to... I want to say to you this, being spiritual is easy, but being practical is what it's about, right? Our lives as Christians here in a church context, I want to bring this back to us and your personal life, is very practical. Years ago, 
Somebody said to me, you need to go and make right with your dad. I climbed on a plane, I flew to Joburg, I went to see him and I made right with him. It's one of the best things I ever did. It was one of the hardest things. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. Why? Because God expects it. What the outcome is, doesn't matter. Because what I did was right before God. And this is what Nahum is saying to them. He's saying to them in verse, in verse 7, The Lord is good. You see, God is good. Goodness itself is who God is. It's part of His character. He's good. He's a good God. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. Now, if you do not do that, if I did not go and do that, am I honoring my parents? No, I'm not. Am I holding a grudge? Yes. Am I standing in opposition to God? And we don't like to hear this. Yes, I am. I'm actually in opposition to God. And anything that stands in opposition to God will get blasted out of His universe. If you're standing in opposition to God in anything in your life, you've got no chance. Because over time, God will grind you down until you face it. So the Israelites wanting to enter the promised land, did not trust in God. They're consistently grumbling, they're moaning. You've got to feel sorry for them. They've only known Him for two months. They've just, they've just come out of Egypt, and they're worried. They're in a desert. There's no food and water, and they're panicking, just like you and I. Is it not familiar? You go into unfamiliar territory, you quickly start panicking. Well, where, you go to a foreign land. Where am I going to sleep tonight? You start panicking. These guys were just the same. But two of them got hold of the truth, those two spies, Josh and Caleb. And they said, no, no, no. We see the giants. We see all the stuff that you're talking about, but God. We're going to trust that God will, and the character of God is such that he will be, if God is on our side, if we're, on, if we're with God, then we're okay. If we're with God, we're okay. They needed to trust God in that situation. So what happens? He sends them back into the desert because the majority of them did not want to trust God. And they, there they cruise around for, for the next 48, 38 years, cruise around in the, in the desert because they did not trust God. The whole generation perishes and all the new ones can go into the promised land. It's no different from you and I. You can do the journey in 11 days or you can do it in 40 years. That's what we're facing, guys. This is what we're facing. We can do it quickly, or we can do it the difficult way, which is standing in opposition to God consistently. I want to say this. If you hold an offense against someone, deal with it quickly. Man, this morning I had to talk to somebody where there's something stupid that I did. And I, and I had to say, yeah, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I'm really so sorry. And I meant it, and I do mean it. And if it happens to you, I do something stupid, I'm going to apologize to you as well. Why? Because last week, on Thursday, I had a very tough day. And I had conflict. Conflict at work, conflict with people outside work. It was a tough day. And I had righteous anger. Have you, always, have you had that before? Like a righteous anger, righteous indignation. I, I had a righteous anger. Uh, this is not my fault, and uh, he needs to sort himself out. 
And uh, I was so angry that I had to go for a walk. And I walked and I went to Ron and I spoke to Ron and I felt much better when I got home. Because now, you know, I've, I've kind of vomited my, my, my anger. And uh, yeah, it was, now, now, now it's all good. I woke up early Friday morning with a scripture that said, Blessed are the peacemakers. So, Lord, this is the devil. He's quoting scripture against me. I knew I had to pick up the phone. I knew it. I couldn't wait to get out of the, we have a prayer meeting on a, on a Friday morning. I couldn't wait to get out of there because I just needed to make that phone call. I just, I was so excited. Excited to make it because now I'm on the right side of God. I'm on the right side of God. Now I can tap into God's goodness because I've done what he expects me to do. And then I realized if I'd not done that, and surely we're all going to do it, I'm actually not neutral. I'm standing in opposition to him because Jesus' commands are quite clear. And he will, as, a, as Nahum reminds us, be long-suffering. He will wait. And he will wait 150 years. So if he waits 150 years, then you know, we get grumpy when we waited two weeks. 150 years they waited for God to come through for them to actually release this oppressive foreign nation, get them out of there. Then he shipped them off to Babylon. That's because they were serving idols. And he purged idols from Israel, hey, from Judah. When they came back after the, the Babylonian exile, there was no more idolatry in Israel. You don't see idolatry anymore after that. He purged it. And he will purge it from you in my life as well. You see? So what we want to do, we want to adjust quickly. And we want to make sure that we do things in such a way that we don't stand in opposition to God. So we do it with Him. And it's not difficult. God is very long-suffering and kind. He works with us in a gentle way, very gentle way. But this reminds me how easy we've got it. Life is so easy for us. We don't have nearly the challenges that these people had. And there are people with severe challenges, financial challenges, poverty, housing. There's some real challenges in South Africa, but it's nothing like this. These guys just sweep into your backyard and they just wipe you out. Ship you off. Just plunder your house, your home. Take everything and ship your kids off to another town. No problem. Or just kill them. Hang your head from a tree and start having dinner, supper. Here's another one for you, and I'll close with this. Romans 14 tells us that if your faith allows you to do something, this is where the subtleties are coming in. Your faith allows you to do something that you know is okay, such as drinking wine. And please, I don't have an issue with wine because I work for a company that produces these kinds of things. And they can be a blessing, but they can be a real curse as well. And I'm just like Jesus. Jesus produced gallons of wine at a wedding. I love that, uh, that, that text hey, that John tells us. But sometimes the person next to you has a problem. Not necessarily a problem 
with alcohol per se, but they've got an issue with what you are doing. Love, true love, in a community context, is if you limit your freedom so that the person next to you can have peace and can live freely. And sometimes you're entitled to do something, but you limit your own freedom for the benefit of others. These are the subtleties that we are meant to live out. These are the, these are the difficult things. That's why I'm saying it's easy to be spiritual. I pray for you. Jesus loves you. It's much harder to say, I'm going to choose not to do this because I know it's going to benefit you. So we must be careful and be mindful and be sufficiently spiritual to know when not to be a stumbling block for the person next to us. And sometimes you're going to be justified to do certain things. But if you're causing the person next to you to stumble, it is a problem. It's a problem to Jesus. Jesus says that if you cause any one of these little ones, talking to the children, to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and chucked into the ocean. It's a very important thing to him. Now, he's not pounding on you and me. But he's saying to us, it's supremely important to me to keep the peace. So blessed are the peacemakers. That's what I had to go and do this week. That was my challenge. Maybe your challenge is something else. So concluding this discussion that we had this morning. God has not abandoned you when you're in a difficult place. He's not abandoned you. For 150 years, he never abandoned Israel. He made some promises and he was going to keep them. But they've done the walkabout. So you and I must work hard and fight hard not to do the walkabout. You know the walkabout? Crocodile Dundee says, I go do the walkabout. That was before your time. Not you, John. <laughs> not you either. Not you either. <laughs> we go wandering around and we do things that... that uh, that are actually standing in opposition to God. So I want to encourage you. God hasn't abandoned you, hasn't forgotten about you. Lucia is going to use you in Brazil. He's going to use you. He really is. And if you humbly accept the implanted word, it will save your soul. If you humbly accept the implanted words, if, if, the, if the words of Scripture come to you, and you accept and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to live according to this. And none, none of us get it right completely. God's okay with that. We all work in progress. We don't always get it right. I mean, at least I know I don't. Maybe you're very spiritual and you always get it right. If we do that, then God is able to save our souls. And by that, I don't mean getting into heaven. I mean experiencing the kingdom. Living with a relationship with God because the Holy Spirit hasn't fluttered away like a dove. You know, they say the Holy Spirit's a dove, but he's sensitive. So we get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, malice, and these types of things. Because they stand in opposition to the Spirit, you know. And then the Spirit flutters away, and then God says, okay, I'm long-suffering. I'm just going to wait. I'll wait 150 years. Well, we don't have 150 years, so we better do it a little bit quicker. Let's change together. Let's try and do things in a way that, that is pleasing to God. And then we will have a peaceful society, is it not? We, we will have a peaceful community. 
uh, it'll be fruitful. There'll be lots of fruit. You'll see the fruit because there will be love. And it's by their love and faith that you recognize a community. Don't recognize communities by what we know. We all think we're so clever. You know, often think about COVID. I've mentioned this to you. But the Assyrian nation was proud of two things. One was their power, their ability, their military ability to be able to conquer nations. That military power, they were very proud of it. They boasted about it, made relics about it. And their wealth, the way that they were able to accumulate wealth. And these are the things that God strikes at. He strikes at the heart of their violence. It's the reason. He said, you're a violent, impetuous people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out. And you know what? All the stuff that you've accumulated, I'm going to have it plundered and there will be nothing left. We just read that scripture. That's what he says to them. And that happened. And then I think of COVID. When COVID happened, I thought, oh my goodness, isn't this amazing? What is the world most proud of today? It's our, our intelligence, how smart we are. We're so clever. We can do anything. We can send spaceships up to Mars, actually. We're on our way to Mars, and we can build uh, you know, stations up in the sky somewhere. And we can transport, actually connect our brains to the internet. You know, we're so, we're so smart. We're really clever. We think we can do anything. Doesn't it sound familiar? Like the Tower of Babel? Like we just stand together, we can do anything. And then the second thing is our, our financial capability, our ability. We, we accumulate so much wealth. And you've got nations that are so wealthy and so rich. And this stupid little virus comes along. And it's such a teeny weeny little thing. It's microscopic. You can't even see it. And it brings entire nations to, to its knees. In like a couple of days and weeks. Entire economies collapse. Isn't that amazing? So what do you think about that? How God can use anything. Uh, to bring us to our knees, and actually to bring us to our senses. That's really what he wants. And he wants that for you and me in our, in our own personal lives. So let's do that. It, it doesn't have to be difficult. And um, you know, I end with a scripture. Maybe I didn't give this to you. It's Romans 10. Is it 10, 15? Um, oh, let me just go there. Yeah. Romans 10.15. Romans 10.15, Paul's actually quoting Nahum. And he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he's quoting Nahum. And he's saying that the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ is the wonderful news that Nahum was talking about. And that Nahum was seeing right through what was happening in his generation into the next generation, that there would be a return from Babylon. They would once again be able to have their feasts. Once again, they'd be able to gather together like we are today. And Paul says that then even beyond that, there's going to be this incredible message of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who unites us with the Father so that we don't stand under that wrath. And I, I want to end there because it, can we just close our eyes for a moment there? I don't know everybody here. I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know whether you've come, what background you've come out of and come from and what your situation is. But I do know that if you're here today, that Jesus wants you in his kingdom. He does. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. And he's knocking on your door. And if there's anybody here this morning on whose door you feel that God is knocking and, and you want to say to him, Lord, I, I want to be, I'm in. I want to be in. I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to come into your kingdom. If there's anybody like that this morning, I would love to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I just, I just want to see your hand. Is there anybody like that this morning? Okay. All right, you can take it down. Anybody else? Anybody? Right. Okay. Yes, Lord Jesus. So this morning, God, we were listening to oh, these incredible prophecies, Lord, that were written in great detail thousands of years ago that actually brought nations down and reflecting on your character, who you are, what you were busy with, that you'd not, not forgotten about them. And today, Lord, you haven't forgotten about an individual. You've remembered. God hasn't forgotten about you. And the Lord Jesus wants to bring you into his kingdom. In order to bring you into his kingdom, you need to accept that he paid the price on the cross for your sin. It is impossible to come to God and be friends with God and to come into his kingdom without coming through Jesus. Jesus is the gatekeeper. He's standing at the gate, and you come, and you come to the gate. You say, I, I want to come into the kingdom, and Jesus says to you, do you accept the fact that I, for I have died for your sins on the cross, and God's anger was actually aimed at me on your behalf, and therefore you can come in. If you accept that, you can come in. And if you accept that, then the Lord accepts you. He accepts you only because of whom Jesus is and what he's done on the cross. Not because of any other reason. So, Lord, Lord Jesus, I, I pray that, uh, that you would allow her into your kingdom. I thank you that she has a desire to be close to you and to meet with you. And can I ask that uh, when we're done, I'll, I'll just come and pray with you there. And um, then we'll take it from there. All right, so then for us as a people, if you feel that God pointed out anything that you think you can make an adjustment, as small as it is, no, nobody knows what's going on in your life, but, but we all have thingies in our lives. I'm trying to be as transparent as possible through God's to mine, but we all have them. Even my wife has them. And, and, and if she has them, you definitely have them. I want, to, I want to pray for you, I just offer you the opportunity for a moment to just make right with God. Just say, Lord, uh, there are these things that have sort of come into my mind. Don't ignore them. The Spirit is speaking to you if things come to mind. And just make right with God and just say to Him, Lord, there are these things, I think it's detrimental to my relationship with you. And I'm just going to be quiet for a moment. I just want you to do business with God, just where you are.
Thank you. Um, the, the Lord blesses teachability, eh? God, God blesses our ability to respond to him. Um, if you haven't learned it, you will. He, he does bless that. And uh, willingness is more important than perfection. Now, Peter, he was, he was willing, but he was very imperfect. I love looking at him because he is a picture of us. We're making mistakes all the time and doing things that he shouldn't be doing. But Jesus had such mercy on him. Jesus loved him. He absolutely loved him. So bless you guys. I hope you have a fantastic week. Um, I hope you feel encouraged and that it's not a heavy, because that's, that's not the intention. It's meant to free us, you know, make us free and experience the kingdom in its fullness. Not, uh, not, not be a heavy. God bless you guys. Have a great week.